0: Payments podcast from Bottom Line Technologies. Okay, welcome to another payments podcast. I'm Charles Bennett. I'm going to host the session today, and um, today's session is going to cover off um, open banking. And we, uh, we we're doing this session because we've had a number of customers asking us um, what what it's all about and why why it should be of a particular interest to them. So we're going to cover some of the key questions that we've been asked by many of our customers, and I'm um, really looking forward to the conversation. So today. I'm joined by uh, John Rushton and Matt Firth, and rather than me trying to introduce them and do them a complete disservice, why don't I ask them to introduce themselves? So, John, I'll come to you first, please.
1: Thanks, Charles. So I'm John Rushton. I'm general manager of a part of Bottom Line called Bottom Line Payment Services, which is what's called an authorised payment institution, um, a piece of open banking jargon. But we're the part of the business that stands behind all of Bottom Line's open banking propositions. I'm just going to hand over to Matt now.
2: Thanks, John. Uh, so, hi there, everyone. Matt Firth. Uh, I'm an account director here at Bottomline, Line, but I've worked within the open banking sphere for the last four and a half years. So, well steeped in some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that open banking presents. So, looking forward to today's discussion.
0: Okay. Thanks, John and Matt. Good intros. So, I guess the first thing we should really address um, is not what is open banking, because um, we can cover that in this conversation. But I think most people will want to know why should they care about open banking? Why should they be getting really excited about this new growth? So, um, Matt, perhaps I can come to you and get your view on why businesses in the UK should really listen up and and, um, find out about this open banking uh, scenario.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Charles. So, I think the most compelling reason why business Merchants should care about open banking per se, the opportunities that it creates in terms of lowering its costs of sale um, compared to, for example, card acceptance. uh, Accepting bank direct payments, open banking payments, um, is truly compelling insofar as the cost that it drives. Now, banks have been charged with enabling uh, connections through APIs. Um, And enabling those on behalf of third parties and being able to enable those services for free. So from a merchant perspective, they'll make significant savings compared to accepting card payments, for example. So that's certainly something that should be viewed as being pretty compelling. I think in addition to that, because faster payments uh, underpins open banking, uh, merchants will get paid faster. Um, there's greater security as a result of the imposition of secure customer authentication. Um, and the chargeback risks are a lot lower as a, as a result of some of those protections. I think the other thing from a consumer perspective, um, is that conversion is likely to increase as well because they're benefiting from a better, smoother, um, more rapid payment experience, which is also secure. Um, And so from a merchant perspective, it's kind of a no-brainer by comparison with cards. Um, So, yeah, I think they are the main reasons why uh, businesses should be interested and should be concerned with open banking and what it means for their payment regimes.
1: And I think Matt, I'd just add that that payment experience is is really key because you know the, open banking very much is a mobile optimized experience, and we now live in a mobile world. If you look at cards, cards is not mobile friendly. You know, a lot of work has been done there, but it still ultimately almost falls back to these pieces of plastic in a wallet. You know, open banking PIS is a completely
0: mobile optimized experience where you can, if you get it right, have somebody pay with a thumbprint. I think that's right, guys. And for me, what's really exciting is that um, really what open banking is doing is is leveraging the the UK consumers' love affair with with mobile banking. There's a huge proportion of folks that now manage all their finances through their mobile banking application. And all open banking is doing is just connecting that mobile banking experience and enabling customers, UK consumers, to pay for anything using mobile banking. So it's just just really leveraging that, that love affair we've already got. It's such an exciting space to be in.
2: And I guess to some extent, John, it's probably also fair to say that uh, COVID's probably had a positive impact, strangely, on open banking and the take-up of payments. So you think about the Captain Tom effect from 2020, uh, when obviously there was a rush to online uh, charity- charitable giving. Um and charities, I guess, are one of those organizations and charitable giving is one of those use cases where cost savings relative to other forms of payment such as cards, for example, uh, are pretty compelling um, and drive far greater cost savings for the charities. Um, but I guess you know charities such as just giving, golden giving, etc, who are starting to adopt. Secure bank transfer payments, um, and I think it's fair to say that uh, just giving have got a very straightforward use case for that that giving instance. There are other sectors and other use cases that are now starting to emerge that really benefit from driving cost savings in accepting payments, um, benefiting from that low chargeback risk. Um, payments being driven through faster payments rather than through backs for example which would have a a two or three day clearing associated to them far less manual intervention um, that a merchant might need to consider so charities financial services uh, so for example paying down of uh, credit card bills and so on um, seems to have certainly been quite a new uh, use case where direct debit maybe is is not the registered um, mode of payment. Uh, Top-up of wallets, for example, is another um, growing use case. Um, and I guess some of those businesses that are also <clears throat> new to online collections driven by COVID, so kind of new business practices being been driven, um, whether it be through the leisure industry, whether it be through things like um, online dairies, for example, who might uh, deliver to your doorstep. Also into leisure, into uh, uh, lottery um, management and payment, um, the enablement of uh, fees transfer in uh, the legal area, Um, also in kind of other areas built in. Housing association payments, for example, council payments. And I think we're starting to see new use cases start to be really driven um, and some real importance being put now on open banking as an enabler towards a much richer payment experience.
1: Yeah, sure, man. And I think that's a that's a great point. I mean, uh, open banking has just bred acronyms. You know, you've got ASPSPs, TPPs, TSPs, FPS, loads and loads of these TLAs, and 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 a lot of it is just jargon. And um, what you have to remember is all of this jargon came from two simple principles, which were bred by regulation. Mm-hmm which was open access to account information, so statement data, things that the banks have locked up about what transactions you make uh, and open access to payment initiation. So actually giving um, you a way through third parties. um, So through the the things you use day to day to actually go and initiate a payment, to make a payment, to tell your bank to send money to somebody else. when you actually put that into into like an everyday context, um, these acronyms start to make a little bit more sense. So, so the example I would use is something like um, payment for car servicing, right? It's something that I did the other day. Um, so, I took my car in, had it serviced, um, and needed to pay. And 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 what actually happens there is is I need to pay um, to the car dealer. So, I, in the context of open banking language, i am called a payment service user. Um, the 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 dealership that I went to that wants to receive the money so that they can they can get the money for my car servicing is the merchant. So very similar to the to the cards world, and what happens is is they want to they want to send me a, um, a way to pay, so so they will send me um, to an open banking page, just like actually. In the cards world, if I was paying online for my card service, they'd be sending me to a card payment page. Now, typically, those pages are not provided by the card dealership themselves. They're provided in the cards world um, by the card gateway or merchant acquirer. They're provided in the open banking world by the TPP. Um, I go to pay. I select which bank I bank with um, and it redirects me to that bank. Now, in open banking language, a bank is called an ASPSP. Um, the reason for that is banks aren't just the traditional um, banks that you see on the high street, they can be alternative institutions, you know, people like Revoluts or actually Capital One as card providers. They're all places where you have a Payment account. So ASPSP means account servicing payment service provider. If you think about that in those parallels, it's actually fairly straightforward. Where the PSU um, needs to do a payment page with their merchant. As far they go through that payment page, that payment page is provided by the TSP, um, TPP. Sorry, um, and they get redirected to the ASPSP where they they authorize the payment and the payment is pushed from that ASPSP back to the merchant, and the world is a happy place. Lots and lots of acronyms, but when you actually put it into context, I want to go and pay for my car servicing with my car garage, I go to a payment page, I get sent through to my bank, which is Barclays, Um, I authorise a payment, and Barclays push the money back to my car garage. It's actually pretty simple.
0: I like that, John. I think um, I had a really nice um, description and and analogy because it is a bit of – acronym soup, isn't it? I think it's a good job there of actually breaking it all down. Um, uh, if I was to pay you, John, 20 pounds for, you know, for, for a curry we went out for yesterday, I would go to my mobile banking service, I'd type in your sort code and account number, I'd put the 20 pounds in, and I might put a reference saying thanks or whatever. For me, open banking, it's just automating that process. But instead of putting in a card details, it's taking me straight to my mobile banking page where I can send the money. I don't even have to put in the sort code and account number of the merchant or the amount or the reference number. It's all done automatically. And then I just approve the payment as though I was sending you the 20 pounds for the curry last night. The only difference is I'm sending the money to the merchant I'm just buying the, uh, the goods or services from. So it's a really nice journey that just leverages everything that everybody does today on mobile banking when they send each other money or pay bills it's just joining the online checkout experience where i might use a card or a paypal to that mobile banking experience just putting those two things together isn't it it's, it's great
1: yeah it's exactly right and it, it's just doing it on the in those third party sites so it's doing them in in you know in a what's called a merchant so doing it in an online shop or a payment page for a garage or a charity donation page yeah, all of
0: those kind of things Okay, so that's, I yeah, hope that's helped work out some of those acronym suits. Um, but um, I think I think as an industry, and, and where I'd like to go next, Matt and John, is I think as an industry, there's been a lot of talk about open banking for quite a while. Um, I attend a lot of events where it's certainly been sort of the showcase conversations for the last couple of years. And if anything, I um, almost got a little bit tired about hearing about it. But until the last six or 12 months, I think there's been a real shift in the market, and it's, the, the, the talk has stopped, and I think the real action has started to take place. Um, and I'd love, uh, John, I'd um, love to hear your thoughts about those changes. You know, why is now the right time for open banking? Because I, I dare say folks listening have probably heard about it, and are just sort of keeping a watching brief. What do you think's happened in the last six or 12 months that's really made a change and turned it, turned it from talk to action? sure um Charles well I I actually think um you know
1: you, you could say that open banking has been a, a slow burn um, you know it launched in 2018 I don't think that's actually quite accurate it, it is in regard to payments it has been tremendously successful in terms of account information services so this is the other side of the coin that I was talking about so access to statement data um, so you know since it launched in 2018 if you look at the stats from the start of the year um, they're incredibly impressive. So there's about two and a half million people in the UK that are now um, having their account data pulled in um, to, to third-party applications to to make extra decisions to give better visibility. That's actually... Um, almost 300 transactions per second at the moment, so 300 statements. It's about 6 billion transactions um, a year. It, it's up in the in the tens of millions each month and growing really rapidly. The thing is, that's all account information data. So that's actually pulling things into, so you'll see it on your own open banking now, that you can connect, uh, sorry, on your online banking, that you can connect other bank accounts. If I go into my um, High Street online banking app, it says, do you want to connect? Connect your other banking apps from other banks into this same application. So you can see all of your accounts in one place. It's that's what's called personal finance management. It's pulling it into things like alternatives to credit scoring. So the account information services has had a tremendous amount of growth. Um, What has taken a little bit longer to mature is payment initiation. And this is because probably only, I think, um, half percent, a percent of all transactions at the moment are payment initiation. Some of this has been because of consumer trust and complexity in those payment initiation journeys in terms of making them work reliably, um, making them work on mobile. It's taken a a little bit of time um, since, since 2018 to actually get those journeys right. But I think what has happened in the, in the last six months is those journeys are starting to become um, really slick, really, really straightforward. So you can just go through on a complete mobile end-to-end journey and almost pay with a thumbprint. It gives you a, a push payment from your bank with the same simplicity. I think you mentioned it earlier, Charles, is something like a, a PayPal or an Apple Pay. Um that has got um, companies' attention now. That's got governments' attention. So in the last six months, the, the government came out with a tender um, for HMRC. They've, they've actually started to enable um, open banking payments for tax payments with HMRC. Um, there are providers like ourselves providing services through to banks um, to, to white label with their business customers. So for for like investment packages, um, and there's public awareness starting to grow. So things like um, Tesco Bank, you know. A, a at, um, at high street bank almost, um, they're enabling open banking, just giving in terms of charities. Um, it, it's really, really interesting the number of organisations that are switching on to open banking PIS being an alternative way to pay.
0: No,
2: it makes absolute sense, John. Thanks for that. And I guess we're going to see some, some growing levels of innovation um, informed by uh, both the ASP and PASP services looking look into the future, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's right, Matt. And, and, and I think that the, you know, you, we can't deny the COVID effect. Um, you know, and and the the, the forcibly driving people online. And and I think that that point you made about about you know alternative um, or or interesting use cases, you know, people tend to think about this in a straightforward sort of replacement for e commerce. So displacing de- de- displacing the 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 card at checkout experience. There's a there's a real opportunity with with open banking payment initiation for for. Particularly services that I would call like nearline, and and those services that are being paid in in arrears, the ones that you mentioned. So so things like deposits. So so deposits for for rental payments, um, absolutely perfect. Where you've got a combination of of you know for rent, you'll have a regular subscription payment, which will probably be collected on DD. But you need to make an upfront deposit with a landlord. Um, perfect type of use case. Or actually putting money in in an investment account. Um, you know, Things that are I'd say nearline, coming back to my car servicing, right? I'm obsessed with car servicing because I actually did have a car service earlier in the week and, and, and went through this type of experience where you're being, you know, you, you have something that you book online, the service itself is is offline, right? You can't service a car online on the internet yet, but, but the actual, when it's completed, the, the service comes back online in terms of the car dealership wanting to be contactless, actually send you an email saying, can you pay online without going into the dealership now with your card? That's that perfect example of that near line type of payment. And then I think the other thing we shouldn't forget, and it's really important and close to what bottom line, um, um, you know, do for a huge number of customers in the UK, particularly is support direct debit. So around direct debit collections, there is a payment in arrears piece, which is where a direct debit collection initially fails. So once you get a direct debit return, it's a perfect use case to actually try and help that customer say, ah, your direct debit has failed. Would you like an alternative way to pay?
2: I like what you said there. So I think where open banking really starts to take off is when you can join the propositions using the AIS data as a means to be able to drive new capabilities, propositions to uh, to consumers or to businesses. really fascinating. And I think that's where, uh, I guess, open banking really starts to come into its own as an enabler of new payment propositions, as an enabler of new capabilities that uh, the banks, FIs, and merchants can really drive to their market. So, I guess, you know, clearly, uh, hopefully we've established that there's some strong use cases, some strong interest here. How do I become part of this, Charles? What's the kind of typical implementation that customers are asking for?
0: Yeah, so it's a good question, Matt. Um, how do you implement? So really, there's, there's two key ways to do that. So if you imagine you're a merchant, you've got an online experience, could be a website, could be a mobile checkout. Really, there's two ways to to embrace that that open banking payment experience first way is you can take a fully hosted page from a provider integrate that ui into your checkout experience so really what that would look like is if you imagine your own checkout page now online you've probably got a card button with a vision and mastercard logo you might have a paypal button well now you'll have a new button saying pay by your bank Uh, and uh, good providers give you a very very simple um, uh, web form type experience that's pretty simple to, to integrate and test. The other way, maybe you're more API um, enabled uh, and focused on just taking an API from a provider. If you prefer that, then that's another way of doing it. You can just take the API offering and then you build that checkout experience yourself rather than using someone else's hosted checkout page. Hopefully that makes sense.
2: Interesting insight, Charles. Thanks for that. So. Just to kind of round us off, where do we think open banking goes next? What's what's next for open banking? What does the future look like, John? I don't know if you've got some views around uh, what that might feel and look like.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matt. I don't think we've we've yet seen everything that 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 payment initiation work can hold, and and certainly if you if you look at some of the things happening in the AIS space, um, you know. The, the 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 original propositions that came out were, were pretty much straightforward access to statement data. Um, what we're seeing more and more is build upon and 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 cranking up that value stream. So we're seeing some really clever stuff happening. Like um, you know you may have seen you may have seen adverts quite recently for a certain credit reference agency and their boost um, uh, proposition. That's because um, things like um, open access to statement data can be a threat actually in some ways for for traditional credit reference agency models and where they're providing an abstract score based on data they receive from parties. Now you could get a score based on actual statements on the bank account. So what they're doing is actually using their their, their, um, credit management, their their consumer credit watch um, portfolio to actually link across into open banking. So when you hit boost, what's actually happening is it's linking your statement data into their credit reference system so they're getting better credit reference data really really clever um you know there's things like saving apps now the the, the, the sort of the jam jars the the the, the um, saving jar type applications where they're linking into your account and actually looking at each transaction you're making and rounding them up so rounding them up by a few pence or setting you saving goals so actually rather than be just simple straightforward show me what's happening on my bank account they're helping you make informed decisions they're helping you make um execute strategies around saving. Really, really clever stuff. Very much in the consumer space right now. But AIS doesn't just appeal to, to the consumer space. It applies to business accounts as well. And we're starting to see um, real traction, um, particularly around um, aggregating statement data together, pulling it all together for business accounts where businesses may have tens or hundreds of accounts into one place, consolidating it for cash management and treasury type operations. It's something we do with a number of our customers today, and it has real opportunity because pulling together statement data across multiple providers for businesses
0: can be quite tricky, complex and expensive traditionally. And I think there's some other things that um are really important when you're considering uh how to uh, how to implement open banking payments into your checkout experience. Um and I probably categorize those into three key areas really. Um so if you're looking at and thinking about um you know which provider to work with, I would encourage you to think about these three things. And the first one is bank coverage. So Many, many banks in the UK have, have enabled open banking. So if you're offering open banking payments in your online checkout, you want to make sure you've got all the major banks as an option for your customers to pay. Because nowadays, everyone has many, many bank accounts with a with a very broad range of, of, of all different shapes and sizes of bank. And you want to make sure you're offering the bank accounts that your customers use. So bank coverage is is the most important and a good provider will have, you know, 20 plus banks enabled, all the brands that you would know and more. The second thing I would really encourage folks to think about is the user experience. Whether you're building that yourself using APIs or whether you're taking a hosted um, page from a provider, it's got to be a really, really slick user experience where there's been a lot of investment in research and testing and user groups to build that really seamless process, because if you're introducing a new payment type at the checkout, you want to be confident that it's as minimal steps as possible to reduce that dropout. You know, we've, we've all spent a long time refining and honing our checkout experiences. Uh, you want to make sure you're using a user experience for open banking payments that is super slick. Now, that is really good, actually, and, and actually open banking payments can be even quicker than cards, especially if the customers use their thumbprint to, to log into their mobile banking experience. It can literally be two thumbprints and done. I've made the payment. So that's really important. Um, really nice little twist I've seen recently in a few different providers is um, if you've got 20, 25 banks as an option, Don't make me scroll down or search for my bank. You know, I bank with TSB. That's a T. If it's alphabetical, I've got to scroll all the way down. That's annoying. It should know that TSB is my bank, and it should put TSB at the top every time because it can can see I've got the app on my phone. So those are the really clever things I'm seeing now. And the third thing after bank coverage and the user experience is the value adds. Um, You know, open banking payments, John, you said it, you know, it has been around for a while. I think the good providers are thinking, beyond the payment itself and they're looking at how to make it even easier. So, for example, I've seen a lot of QR codes now coming to the market whereby rather than um, uh, clicking on the journey on on your phone, if you're buying something on your desktop, for example, don't make me enter my login details on the desktop. That's not as easy as my thumbprint on my mobile phone to help me bridge the gap between my desktop experience and my mobile phone by using a QR code. So on that checkout experience, the good providers are putting a QR code on the screen. I can take my phone out, scan the QR code, and it seamlessly takes me to complete the journey on my mobile banking experience. Uh, you know, I know my mobile banking login, it's my thumbprint. It's so easy, so much easier than on the desktop. The other thing I'm seeing, which is a really neat thing, and John, it kind of alludes to what you said earlier about combining the two sides of that open banking coin, the account information services and the payment service. And that value add is helping with reconciliation. If you imagine um, open banking payments, we're gonna see a lot more line items on merchants' bank statements. What the really good providers are doing is using the power of open banking to automate that reconciliation. So they can use the account information service tool. They can suck in bank statement data. And if I process a payment on behalf of a merchant, I've got the reference number. So I can look for the amount on the reference number in the bank statement, I can see it's arrived. So I can automatically tell the biller that payment has arrived, don't worry about it. And so the really good providers are making reconciliation of open banking payments automated, making lives much easier. So uh, that's another benefit, really. Um, you know, John and Matt, you were talking at the start of the session about the benefits of open banking payments. It's faster reconciliation. It's lower cost than the traditional payment types like cards, but also it helps for faster reconciliation because it hard codes the reference number into the payment. And if you can automate that reconciliation, many companies today who receive bank transfers already probably have a bit of a headache um, reconciling and matching those payments. Maybe customers haven't put the reference number in or fat fingers have typed the, the wrong reference number. The other nice thing about open banking payments is it automates that reconciliation process and makes it much better.
1: And I think Charles that, that 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 second one also comes back to the the way that you want to do this from a from a from an operational model of you know if you're a if you're a merchant you have two choices you can either um, try and try and actually outsource everything so you can you can go to a third party that could provide you those, those forms and those APIs. And the the tick in the box from the, the regulation because to, to actually initiate payments you have to be um, FCA authorized you need um, you need authorization for payment initiation services um, so what you can do is you can go to to one of the providers that can give that tick in the box or actually um, if you're if you're so inclined, you can become um, approved yourself. And and you then have the choice of actually, rather than buy, take the whole um, technology side, the forms and the APIs um, from a third party provider, it's called, and, and effectively outsource it all to them. Um, you can actually take those, those particular potentially forms, uh, but almost certainly the APIs, combine it with your authorization um, and provide the service yourself. That's called what's taking things from a TSP, a technical service provider. Um, we we would always say that the, the choice is, o- is open and um, there are you know pluses and minuses to both. Um, but we'd always suggest talking to somebody who can potentially help you with both scenarios. No,
2: that sounds fascinating. I mean, I think you know, like you said before, John, and I think as we've intimated, obviously payments still represents a really low percentage of the number of open banking interactions and API calls. And so I think as with any change in payments, it's much more likely to be an evolution over a period of time rather than a revolution, unless there is a, a killer kind of use case that comes about. But I think it is an evolutionary process. If we look at things like contactless, for example, obviously that took some time. To, uh, to bed in. And I guess it was the use case of TFL that really drove that into the mainstream. And I guess the same will happen with open banking, or unless open banking just becomes something no one talks about. It's just something that underpins payments in the future. Um, and that no one talks about open banking, people just talk about faster payments. And open banking is just a means of achieving that end. Charles, I don't know if you've got anything further that you want to add, um, but I've really enjoyed the discussion and learned a load.
1: Oh well, thanks, Matt. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think the next phase is, is actually one of of maturation, which is yeah, the the original drivers for for the creation of open banking. So the the, the big stick of regulation is tailing off, and and you've got um, sort of a next phase uh, of open banking in terms of them maturing as an entity, um, their their ongoing governance and, and and funding models being worked out, and actually them moving on from from core things where they have a regulatory stick to enforce compliance and standardization into optional um, business benefits. So they're looking at introducing you know, sandbox items. You know, the, the specifications have just introduced a thing called variable recurring payments. And they're looking at sweeping, which are really interesting. They're interesting from a consumer standpoint. Um, variable recurring payments is actually almost what it says on the tin. The idea is that it's a long-lived consent. So at the moment, when you authorise a payment um, through open banking, generally it's just for a single payment at that point in time. Variable recurring payments, you might authorise a company to take money uh, to to continue to initiate payments from your bank account over, say, a month. So an example of that might be, as a use case they intended to be used for, things like paying for parking charges. So if you regularly park in a certain car park, you can say to NCP who run the car park, please debit my account. So please push a payment from my account to your account every time I drive my car in um, to that car park up to £25 a month. Um, That that in intent um, seems to have merit. Um, it seems to have some consumer applications. I think it is in danger of being shoehorned in, frankly, as a replacement for um, long-lived and very ingrained uh, methods of payment in the UK, like direct debit. Um, I'm not sure there's a there's a great fit there. Uh, and certainly, there's some compromises being made about the, the way that it fits in with some of the regulations around what's called the payment services directives and secure customer authentication. Um, but there is merit. Um, I think one of the things there, though, is is with these things being optional in adoption is it could lead to a little bit of a a bifurcation of standards. So fragmentation in the marketplace with different people um, adopting things at different paces. Uh, So so ASPSPs, banks, remember that was the the jargon for a bank. Um, Some of them choosing to do it, some of them not choosing to do it. I think that for us can be a challenge in terms of uk plc because actually that 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 lack of fragmentation that standardization driven by regulation has probably given us a leg up on the rest of the world you know that there there are more third-party providers there's more interest there's more there's more noise around open banking in the uk than anywhere else in the world i can see today i think i think just the final thing i would say and and probably the one thing is Open banking today is very consumer-orientated, yeah, getting data about consumers and consumers initiating payments to, to their merchants. I think the promise for business is yet to be realized, and that's the thing that really interests me as we move forward in the next two or three years, which is how do these propositions, how do these technologies adapt to serve business-to-business transactions?
0: Now, do you know what, guys? You, you were, I was going to Jump in actually and talk about the the payment and the evolution piece, Matt. But I think you covered it really nicely there. So now I think if um, if anybody listening is like me and they um, they listen to podcasts and going for a run, I think if we don't wrap it up now, we're in danger of turning a, a quick run around the block into a 10k. So um, listen, thanks so much for listening, everyone, uh, and Matt and John, thank you so much. It's been a fantastic conversation. Loads more questions, but probably we'll um, we'll do that one in another podcast. Take care all. Thanks. Bye. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.